Welcome to the dark forest Jackie and her pals will never bore us Shameless confessions about our obsessions Will make us laugh and smile So let's explore the dark forest And dark down for a while Hi, it's Jackie Cation And you are listening to The Dork Forest The website's JackieCation.com DorkForest.com TheDorkForest.com if you like a determiner Let's do the credits. Patrick Brady's going to fix this audio and video. Vilmos works on JackieCation.com. And Mike Rickberg uh, sang the song with his wife, Sarah. He composed it, and he will sing his version of the Mexican hat dance at the end of this show. Thank you so much for listening to The Dorks Forest. Here's a scoop. I'm doing stand-up online. A lot of Zoom shows will eventually go back on the road. Sign up for my email list. It's easy to get off. It's harder to get on than it is to get off. And no harm, no foul, if ever bored. JackieCasia.com. Sign up for the email list. You'll find out about my weekly Zoom shows and stand-up on the road eventually. You may donate to the show if you would like. I would like. Sure, I would. There's PayPal, Jackie at JackieCation.com, and there is a PayPal button on both DorkForest.com and JackieCation.com, and there's Venmo, if you like Venmo, Jackie-Cation, oddly enough. If you have listened to all of the shows, go to DorkForest.Bandcamp.com, I think. The Dork Forest has a Bandcamp page. You can listen to a, but a lot of ones that are free from pre 2000 nine when I started pre-recording and uh, then there's a live episodes that cost me a couple of bucks. So I charge you a couple of bucks. There's also some stand up. There's a story uh, album. That's very exciting there. And um, other than that, I have a lot of merch in my garage. Feel free to order if you know anybody who doesn't have any CDs or the DVD. And uh, you can follow me everywhere at Jackie Cation. Let's get into the show. Hi, it's Jackie Cation. Hi. I am in my garage, and I am talking to pinch hitter Heather Thompson. Welcome to the program, Heather Thompson. Hi, so happy to be here. Yay. Here's the thing. You do stand-up comedy. Yes, this is correct. This is true information. <laughs> Sorry, this I had is... to pause. I was like, yeah, I do. I'm not thinking about sure. it. I do stand-up, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. I need to see your stand-up more often because uh, it's just you've just been recommended on various fronts, and I just I need to I need to see it. Maybe if I do the Zoom shows again, would you do a guest set on my Zoom show? I would love to do a guest set on your Zoom show. Well, ladies and gentlemen, let the Sunday Zoom shows resume, and resume. Resu- I'll be over here. Anyway, <laughs> Heather Thompson is T H O M S O N, no P. That's that's the tricky part of it, and it's Heather, like the word Heather. And your, mm-hmm. all of your socials, your Twitter, your TikTok, all the things are at the Heather Thompson. That's Instagram as well? Yes. Okay. So it'll be in the notes, at the Heather Thompson. But now you want to dork out about something that I did not know um, was, the only thing I know about this is that Maria Bamford did a joke about it. And so I think it is hoarding among the Kennedys. I mean, that is one of the better synopses I've ever heard. I can explain it a little better, maybe for the people who oh, aren't please. up on us. Uh, it okay. is called, what is it called? So Grey Gardens is a documentary that came out in the 70s. Now, for the true fans, you know that they did a second documentary because it was so popular with additional Ooh. footage. There's been an HBO movie about them. <laughs> there was also another documentary made about a cousin of theirs 
but has now become famous because they became a, such a big deal that people go watch that too. There's a lot of content for fans, but basically <laughs> it's about two women who were high, a mother and daughter who were part of high society and uh, they're cousins of Jackie O, which is why it got so much attention. Okay. And the father uh, divorced the mother and didn't leave her very much money. And then when he passed away, he didn't really leave her anything. And the mother moved in with the daughter in this summer house that the family used to have in the Hamptons and were living off this trust. So they had what they call a reversal of fortune. Because <laughs> when you're rich, you don't say we're poor now. We say we had a reversal of the fortune. Like you still kind of have it. Um, okay. And they are professional eccentric shut-ins. Like, oh. so the, the documentary just happened because these guys were like, these women are such characters. Just filming them will be so entertaining. And it's very true. And newspapers did some articles about them because they were the original hoarders because they had pet raccoons and about 30 pet cats. And they didn't like to clean. They were very artistic women. They liked to sing. They liked to soft shoe. They liked to listen to the radio and, and eat ice cream and discuss the arts. And they couldn't be bothered with dealing with the pile that was to the ceiling high of the cat food tins. Wow, because they had been felt wealthy and they had had people to, de- to do for them. That's another, yes. that's another term that rich people use. Do you have someone come in to do for you? Yes. yes. I think slowly as the reverse of the fortune happened, <laughs> they just kept letting more and more people go. And then, you know, at that point, they probably were like, I, what's a dish? How would I even clean it? I'll just eat off newspaper, you know? Wow. Um, okay, yeah. so, so they're Jackie Kennedy's cousins. So what was her maiden name? Onassis. Oh, no, Onassis is her married name. Right, um, after Kennedy, she married so, some Greek millionaire, gajillionaire. Yes, uh, so they're the Beals. They're, um, okay. They both have the same name. They're Little Edie and Big Edie. And, um, oh. But I don't know if Jackie had the same last name as them because she was a cousin, and I don't remember Jackie's maiden name. Okay, well, but, but the name of these two ladies was mm-hmm. Beals. Mm-hmm. Like Jessica Beals? yes. Are, is Jessica no. Beals from Foot, Flashdance or Footloose, is she a, related? God, I don't think so, but what a story that would be, but I don't think so. <laughs> she's, you know, she's trying to keep it quiet if that's the case. <laughs> right, she's got that on the DL. Um, yeah. So these two, so did you see the one from the 70s? Yes, I mean, I've watched all the content you can on it. They're also, the house has since been restored because it's like this beautiful house that they lived in because it was like, the summer mansion for a rich family and then all the help left and these two women didn't know how to maintain it and 20 years go by and you got raccoons in the walls and holes in the roof and then where um, is it it is in the hamptons it is very close to the water it has since been restored the um i can't remember names right now but the man who used to own the washington post and his wife restored it for their summer home and it's now like a $30, $40 $30, $40 million house. But there's also restoration videos you can find on YouTube. <laughs> and um, it's been made into a very beautiful home. And it, I imagine in the 40s when it was built, it was a very beautiful home. Right, right. Yeah. So so these so these were just, they're cousins of Jackie Kennedy's. And they're cousins to each other? No, they're mother and daughter, which makes it super, I mean, psychologically it's fascinating because they're very codependent. They're very enmeshed. Um, I mean, Big Edie is the mom and she would say that little Edie 
had issues and had a very sensitive constitution and was a little weak and needed taken care of. And little Edie would say, well, I was supposed to be a Broadway star, but mother couldn't be alone. And (laughs) so I had to come be with her. So my Broadway dreams are on hold. They're on hold. And how old are these women in the 70s? So uh, little Edie is 50. And I want to guess that big Edie is late 70s, 80s. Okay. So little Edie is, is in her 50s. So Yes, and I think that's part of what I love about it is this 50-year-old woman being like, eh, you know, eventually I'll get back to New York and working on my Broadway <laughs> career. <laughs> I've kept my figure, you know. Like. Right, right. Were they good looking? Did they, were, uh... Oh, so Big Edie, I, I think so. I mean, by the time, by the time the documentary is filmed, she's taken to not wearing clothes and she lays in a bed and she just drapes a towel over her chest and uh, minimal hair and makeup. And little Edie was a model back in the day. She did like runway shows in the Hamptons for like high society and was just known as like a very beautiful society girl. And I mean, probably had um, some very uh, successful suitors. I mean, some very high society suitors, but I don't think she was ready to be tied down. Oh, right, right. She had to, she had to, right. The only person who could tie her down was her mama. Exactly. That's, that's yes. so crazy. Yeah. What? Okay. So, they're there. Are they their only sort of uh, immediate family? Um, they do have. So, they have people that come around occasionally. But um, like every so, like in the documentary towards the end, Big Edie has a birthday, and I'm not sure what, who it is. But two like sort of non immediate family members come around. There's no like. Like the sons don't come around. I think they may have washed the hands of the situation. Uh, the husband slash father is dead at this point. They do have this interesting thing where they have this local boy who delivers groceries. Okay. And he's like in their early 20s and they sort of take him in and he comes and he like delivers the groceries and then um, hangs out on the twin bed next to Big Edie and she makes him corn on this little hot plate she has beside the bed. What? She has, and wait, she just has a hot plate beside the bed. Oh, the whole thing is a fire hazard. I mean, there's newspaper everywhere and there's hot plates beside the bed and there's she's a, cooking from the bed in. She's cooking from the bed because she's just lying there with a towel over her breasts. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. And then the kid delivers, what kind of food have they ordered? Mostly. They eat a lot of ice cream. Oh, do they? They're living off yes. of ice cream. They're living off of mostly because you know they're not they're not great cooks. They don't have these domestic skills. No. And at one point, little lady is like, "I should make mother, you know, a baked potato and some meat or something." But it's very difficult. And so they just sort of they drink. They have their okay. ice cream. Okay, so they have booze and they have ice cream yeah. for sure. And corn on the cob. And corn on the cob at one point for sure. Yeah. Uh, is she boiling it or is she just placing it on the hot plate? Oh, she's boiling it. Okay. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's that. Uh, <laughs> at least. So, so, so this thing, is it an hour? How long is the documentary? I want to say it's about an hour and a half. Okay. Um, and then, you know, like the follow-up documentary, cause it was so popular. It's one of the most popular documentaries ever made. Um, it's probably another hour and a half of footage of them. Okay, just sort of found footage is the second one. Did the yeah, did I they think, die? Did it? Did social services get called? What happens at the so, end of it? 
So it's sort of a beautiful ending. Um, Big Edie eventually dies of old age, and little Edie finally fly, flew, ugh, flies the coop. And at this point, she's become somewhat famous because the documentary was such a success. Yeah. Like a little cult sort of fame. Yeah, yeah. And this um, bar in New York, uh, near Broadway, maybe not on Broadway, but close <laughs> enough, right? Says, okay, little Edie, because they both sing and dance, and they're a little competitive about their singing and dancing, and they... They put on like shows for the the documentary filmmakers. Okay, you know, sort of. One there's a famous scene of Little Edie dancing in the foyer with an American flag. Uh, but anyway, so she she gets to finally like sort of have a little bit of that career that she wished she had, and she puts on a whole like one woman review of song and dance. And if I know Little Edie, she probably had like cute little quips in there too. <laughs> Right, she's and, um, riffing. They're singing. Yeah, they're she's dancing. riffing. Okay, they're very it's great sound bites. A lot oh, of really? good sound bites from these. Okay, yeah. And so she gets that, and uh, I don't know how long that run goes, but she gets that, and then eventually she moves down to Florida, which is great because she didn't like the cold of the Hamptons in the winter, okay. especially because they had no heat and there were holes in the walls from the record. What? And um, you know, she, I think she passed away in Florida in the early two thousands. Okay. So. so she lived another thirty years as well. Yeah. And did you think that they did it for the money? Oh, the documentary? Yeah. N- no. They're, I don't know if they got any money. Um, <laughs> it's funny. There's some quote part where they're sort of talking about getting paid. And the documentary filmmakers, I don't think they realized how much this would blow up. And they sort of say to them, well, you know, it's a documentary. I, I don't know if we're going to make any money. And then Big Edie goes, but they've never seen a documentary about us. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> she is, uh, it turns out, <laughs> prophetic. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think they knew, I think they both are hams, and they love the camera and the spotlight. And I think they know how entertaining they are and kind of pride themselves on it. Okay. So I think a lot of the motivation was just, here we've been soft-shoeing and singing tea for two in the darkness of our of our house, just for the raccoons. <laughs> And finally, these two charming men have figured out that there's wasted talent um, at this estate in the Hamptons, New York, and have showed up to film us. And it was only natural that that would happen. Right, right. This is this is the way it was meant to be, I guess. Yeah. Uh, things, finally, the world cares. Mm-hmm. And um, so how many floors is this house? Do we get to see all the, do we get a tour of the house? Uh, yes, I think it's two floors and then there's an attic and I don't know if there's a basement. Probably. Uh, probably, and probably, but Little Lady and Big Edie were just sort of like, I don't know, that's the door the servants used to disappear into. We don't know what's beyond <laughs> it. Oh my God, if I were a documentary person, I, documentary person, I <laughs> would totally go down that door. Um, <laughs> because the door they don't know about, like maybe that's where the, this, did they ever, did, did like, their servants, Is there's no servants. There's just yeah, there's no servants anymore. Okay. Wow. So, uh, are they doing any laundry? Oh, that's a good question. Well, um, <laughs> so, you know, Big Edie just has the sort of scarves and towels that she drapes. And it's super <laughs> funny because sometimes the documentary filmmakers will just suddenly pan away from her and, like, focus in on, like, a picture on the wall or something. And you know it's because Edie's towel has slipped. And this is their tasteful way of, like, being like, okay, we're just going to redirect for a second. Um, 
And then Little Lady is a very eccentric dresser in and of herself. So um, it's hard to explain it, but it's like she takes, like she'll take a scarf and wrap it around her body and then safety pin it and call that a skirt. Oh, all right. You know what well, I mean? Like, or maybe make a cape out of pants or maybe like a swimsuit with tights is... You know, and she always has a scarf on with a brooch because she's got issues with her hair. Okay. Um, she has issues with her hair. I think a nervous condition made her hair fall out. Ah, uh, fair enough. All right. But you never see her without the scarf on camera. So that is a good question. In my head, they must do something, but they also just have this pile. And every time something gets a little too dirty, maybe they just throw it to the raccoons and are like. <laughs> do we get to meet the raccoons? Oh, yeah, you see them. They get fed, like, a whole package of Wonder Bread every night. Oh, my God. Yeah. Where? Oh, so many questions. Yeah. Um, where do, where does the money come for the grocery delivery? Like, are they, so they yeah. Yeah, they have a small trust. Okay. Um, so when the husband divorced her, she didn't get a ton of money in the divorce, and then when he passed away. He didn't leave her very much, but there was some kind of trust set up that had enough to keep them in ice cream, but not necessarily enough to keep the servants or to, right, to you know, fix the, the roof. Yeah, but to she, staff the but house. She, uh, was the house hers or was it her husband's? I think she got it in the divorce. So the issue was like she owns the house, but can't maintain it very right, well. Right, right. Okay. So, but she got yeah. the house for some reason yeah. in the divorce. Yeah. <clears throat> yes. Well, and she's very attached to Grey Gardens. Like, um, and it's and called Grey Gardens. Yes, the because house. you remember, like, especially like summer homes of the wealthy, they all had names back in the day. Oh, right, right. Sure. Why wouldn't yeah. they name their their summer home? Of course, you know it's a it's an entity in and of itself. You know. Sure. You have the Breakers in Rhode Island, and you have Grey Gardens in the Hamptons, and what's Breakers? Oh, uh, so Rhode Island has all these, like, huge summer mansions, which now you can tour because they're sort of, like, historic landmarks. But, like, most of them have names. I saw the Philadelphia story. I know that they can't afford the taxes. Anyway, (laughs) um, so there was a... um, That is... Okay, so there's the original documentary and then sort Mm -hmm. of found footage, another hour and a half. Is there an arc to the... To the first one? There's an arc sort of to the first one, or no? Um, so, it's very slice of life. Okay. You know, like, I suppose, it, like, it's just sort of, you know, I think they showed up for, God, I don't know if they were with them for weeks or months, um, and sort of filmed them every day, and then edited that into something interesting. I mean, there's a little bit of an arc in that the end is sort of poetic because Little Edie is dancing and Big Edie is shouting and there's <laughs> something sort of emotional about it, but it's hard to exactly put into words. But there's no plot. Like, it's not like the documentary starts and you watch their fall from grace. It's more like, here's a summer with these eccentric women who've been in this house for 20 oh, okay. years. Okay, so yeah. it sort of has at least a time frame to some extent. Yeah. And then, so what's the second one? So the second one, I think that when the first one was such a hit, they just had all this additional footage. And as a creative, this is how I picture it, that when they were in the editing room making the first one, they were like, man, 
Big Edie is so amazing when she sings Tea for Two, and she is so amazing when she sings I Love My Soft Shoe, which one are we going to put in the film? And then they make the call, and then the film becomes a hit, and they're like, guys, we have so much more to show you. And then, so the second film is kind of like, um, it's very similar to the first in that it's just more of like these amazing little quotes and performances from these women. Okay, so it's essentially just another, like that same time frame but like from a different camera angle, like other, other episodes, other things that they yeah. did. Okay. Yeah. So, and then there was a fictionalized movie of this. An HBO movie okay. with Jessica Lange and Drew Barrymore. I highly recommend it. What? Jessica Lange and them. Yes. So Drew Barrymore plays little Edie and it's actually one of Drew Barrymore's best performances I mean, I feel like it shows what she can do way more than sort of the average never been kissed, you know, thing right, that she right. was in. Yeah, yeah. Um, and she's also like one of the producers on it. So I think she might have been like, this is how I'm going to show the world who I am. Or um, I and, need to make this movie and be in it. Yes, uh, exactly. Who like was maybe in, she's. Who was in um, the, the Princess Diaries? What's the name of that incredibly. Anne Hathaway. Thank you very much. Anne yeah. Hathaway also had uh, sort of a passion project that she did. She wanted to, she kept being cast as that, you know, pretty and perfect mm-hmm. kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, she did a, a, a monster movie called Colossal. I don't think I've seen that. It's it's incredible. Okay. It's really, really good and weird. And I'm going to put it on the to watch list. Yeah, yeah, whatever. I think it's on Hulu. Anyway, so Jessica Lange and Drew Barrymore are in Grey Gardens, the movie for HBO. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're very good. And so some of the gaps that I'm filling in with what happened, I'm pulling from the HBO movie. So let's oh. assume the HBO movie is accurate, yes. you know, because the documentary doesn't necessarily show the scene where the sons come home for the father's funeral and they say, hey, you really can't afford to keep living here on the trust. Why don't you sell Grey Gardens and get a little apartment somewhere? And Big Edie says, I will leave Grey Gardens feet first. This is my home, you know. Feet first. What a great mm-hmm. line. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> so this is, you know what this is? This is um, the benefit of a classical education, I think, is uh, this sort of quippiness. The yes. fact that they have really good lines. Oh, my God. Very sophisticated women. Like rep- their repartee is mm-hmm. pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. What about, so, so that is... So that's essentially a dramatization of their lives, the two of them. And when did yes. that come out? That came out in the early 2000s. And that one has a little bit more of an arc. Like you see the beginning and it's amazing to see the house when it was beautiful and they were young and beautiful and they were hosting all these parties. Okay. And then you see the sort of marriage to the husband unravel. Little Evie try to make a go of it in New York on Broadway and that not go so well and her sort of to come home to stay with mother temporarily and then never really make it back to New York until they sort of are in this loving but somewhat toxic codependency. And then there's sort of like a nice, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but they sort of come to a nice understanding um, at the end of the film. Okay. So they cleaned it up. They they cleaned it up in, in the, in the dramatization. Yeah, I mean, there's, I think one of the things I like about it is there's definitely a sadness to it and a little tragedy, but there also is like a lot of like joy and beauty to it at the same time. It sounds like a sympathetic adaptation of these women's lives. 
Yeah. Well, I think even though they're sort of like kooks, I think the people that really love it, and I think what I love about it is like, okay, so your husband left you, the trust running is out, your Broadway career didn't work out, um, and you got holes in your walls. But does that mean you still can't enjoy some ice cream and a soft shoe? Like there's like still this like joy de vivre about both of them. Yeah. Through it all. Through it all. Yeah. I yeah. love that. Um, I think that that is fascinating. Did, um, have the documentarians ever did done anything else? You know, it's like, I wonder about the people who made it. Yeah. I think, um, that cause there's a documentary called that day that was made about like an artist that's sort of a, a relative of the Beals and they um, they appear in that documentary a little bit. And I think what happened is they met the Beals making that documentary. And then we're like, these women are so interesting. We got to do a whole documentary about that. And of course, their documentary became way more successful than the original one right. that they were supposed to do. Like they really, I mean, they walked in as extras and they stole the show. You know, <laughs> suddenly the movie was about them. Right. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah. That is- so, okay, so now we have three movies that this thing has been about. And there was also, it was made into a musical that went to Broadway. What? Yes. When? How? Did Edie um, get I, to do anything? Did little Edie get to be any part I, of it? Um, Big Edie was passed away at that point, and I think little Edie might have also been, or at least she was 80 and down in Florida at that right. point. So they were not in the musical. I want to say Bernadette Peters might have been in it, but maybe that's just my Wishful imagination. thinking. Wishful thinking, yeah. Sure, sure. Oh my yeah. gosh. And you can find that on YouTube if you want to watch it. <laughs> uh, which I think people will. I think people yeah. will definitely want to watch that. So there's a musical. Did they ever take it to ice? This is... <laughs> <laughs> no, but now that you've said it, I will not live freely until that has happened. <laughs> it is It is the natural way of all things mm-hmm. Disney. Finally, it ends up on ice. And... Uh, <laughs> But, but no. So, um, yeah. And then I, I'm sure there's just a cottage industry of, of, of like, books and mugs. I want you there to what? be t-shirts. <laughs> I don't know. Well, it's funny because there's, I on one of my Google deep dives into it, like, they have a living, like, great niece or something who's got like an Instagram who's like, I'm the descendant of the Beals. And she like posts like elegant photos of her, you know, like in, uh, in the summertime, maybe in the Hamptons or someplace like it with cute outfits. And, um, right. So she might, she might have, um, so they had other kids, right? Big Edie had, had other, had obviously boys as well as her daughter. Mm-hmm. And so that might be the great niece. Mm-hmm. Of somebody, and that yeah. is, well, that's ridiculous. What else do we need to know before we go on to your next Dorkdom, which I think is awesome? Um, oh, God. Now my brain is just peddling. Um, I think, I, I mean, think I think we, you summed it up very well. I think we covered all the major points. There's also, so you know the uh, the brilliant TV show by um, um, Armisen and Hayter, the mockumentary now? Oh, yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. or the or is it called documentary now? But it's it's like parodying them. So yeah. the first episode they ever did, they did Grey Gardens, and I highly suggest it. It is just they did such a perfect job with it. 
And if you're ever feeling, or if I'm ever feeling blue, I know I just pop on that episode. <laughs> and they just, they just did wonderful things with the satire of it. So that's another offshoot of the, the original. Uh, satire muscle is uh, larger than life. He uh, plays Big Edie, and oh, he does such a good job. God, he plays Big yeah. Edie? Yeah. Yeah. That sounded like a dick joke, by the way, but it wasn't. Uh, Fred Armisen is just a delight. Yeah. So, um, wow. Okay, so there's that. What other? Because yeah. it, it's kind of come into the zeitgeist, right? Like it's mm-hmm. it's in society. Like people reference it. It's why it worked in Maria's joke so well. It's funny because when I'm doing a set, you know, I've occasionally referenced it. And I'm always sort of like reading the room of what kind of crowd this is, because it's either going to be a crowd that's like, what's Grey Gardens? Or they're going to be a crowd that's like, we're the same people. We love you now that you mentioned Grey Gardens. It's so true. Uh, So, but here's the thing. This is a pretty basic, this is a good slide into what your next dorkdom is. Which is sort of because Grey Gardens is so cheer is sort of, you know, it's full of love from the look Mm -hmm. of it. I mean, they were a mess, but I think that there was there there was genuine feeling in all of that. My ad, my ad, my ad. I'm about to do an ad. Rangers, it's me, Jackie Cation. And we are coming out of quarantine. We're we're trying to get back into normal. I'm back on the road. It is weird. I'm back in airports. I'm back on shuttles. I'm back in lifts. And I need headphones. So I have just found a new pair that are so great. So no matter how you're feeling about getting back out there, there's no denying it's an adjustment. So the when the world gets too loud, something I love to do is just create my own soundtrack by popping in my Raycon wireless earbuds. I have been listening to the soundtrack to Frozen 2. I have been listening to a lot of pop music. I've been listening to a lot of classics. And you just need some upbeat music to pump you up before you see people or to stay calm in line. That's what I do at airports. I listen to my earbuds. When I'm standing in line, it makes it just go faster. That's all. I do some guided meditation sometimes on on an airplane. And let me tell you right now, Raycons are the best way to listen. They come with a bunch of different gel tips for your comfort. So they don't stick out of your ears. They just, they sit in there and they're super comfortable. It's great. They don't, they have a 32 hour battery life. So you can listen to what you want when you want for a really long time. They work with my phone really well. Everybody can hear hear me super well on these uh, Raycon earbuds, and they start at half the price of other premium audio brands, but they sound just as good. And Raycons come with a 45-day happiness guarantee, so you really can't lose. Just give them a try. You'll see what I mean. You can listen to better music than I do, or what you think is better music. Uh, so right now, the Dork Forest listeners can get 15% off their Raycon order, your, your first order. So you could buy a bunch of stuff. So you go to buyraycon.com slash dork. So it's buyraycon, B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N.com slash dork to save 15% on Raycons. They are noise canceling. They sound great. They're super comfortable. And go to go now. Get 15% off at buyraycon.com slash dork, D-O-R-K. 
You know. Let's get back to the show. You said your other dorkdom was romance films. Um, so period piece films. So, um, room like, with a view. Uh, room with a view, and then also um, uh, somewhere in time, and uh, remains of the day. Okay. Basically, I just want a situation where, like, or Age of Innocence, like. To me, the hottest thing in the world, I guess, is people never actually getting to touch each other. Like, I don't know what that says about me, but I'm like, you have your pornography. But what I want is for them to stare longingly at each other. And then at one moment, she removes her glove and he puts his pinky on top of her pinky. And that's all that ever happens. And he keeps her parasol for life. Wow. Wait, yeah. but but these are these are sort of happy endings kind of situations, right? These, oh no, oh, not no. all of them. Okay, Wuthering so, Heights. Um, okay, so it depends. So um, first, I want to throw in that like so somewhere in time, I started going on like a deep dive into it, and I found that they do not have a fan club. They have called what's called an appreciation society. Which to me is like, you took nerdtum to another level because you were like, no, we're such nerds that we're not going to call it a fan club. It's an appreciation society. So but, what is Somewhere in Time? I have not. So Somewhere in Time is Christopher Reeves and Jane Seymour. Oh. And, okay. So it's one of those movies. These movies always blow my mind that involve time travel. And you're always like, but if this hadn't happened, then that hadn't happened. So how does this work? So how did that? So like, that's part of my obsession with it. So, um... Can I do just a spoiler alert that I'm going to tell the plot to? Right. I think that these movies are from the 12th century. If you haven't seen them, it'll be fun. <laughs> right. Okay. Somewhere in time. So, Christopher Reeves. Okay. So somewhere in time, he's a playwright in the 70s, and this is Christopher Reeve at his prime. He's so handsome. He's right. dreamy. And he's just put on a play, and this old woman comes up to him at the end, and she hands him like a locket and an old timey like program from some performance at some old hotel. And she looks at him and she says, come back to me. And this piques his interest. So then he goes and starts doing research and he's like, I think I was at this hotel, like, but I don't understand this. So he starts researching because maybe his name's in the program or something. Something makes him go start researching time travel and being like, I'm going to go back. (laughs) So he meets with this professor. I love like a quirky professor um, in a movie. And basically the professor's thing is like, if you, time travel is in the mind. And if you can remove all modernness and convince yourself in your brain that you are actually in, you know, 1812 or whatever, you can get there. And so he like gets this hotel room, he clears everything out of it, and he just lays down in this old-timey suit and just keeps whispering to him himself, I am, I can't remember what year he's going back to, um, but I am in this year. Right. And then it works. He wakes up, and he's in the same hotel, but like 100 years earlier. And the old lady that said, come back to me, is young, beautiful Jane Seymour, who's an actress. And um, the hotel is like so picturesque and beautiful, and he's wandering around and he sees her and they fall in love instantly. And of course it's like perfect because he's a playwright and she's an actress. And, um, <laughs> and uh, this, this like old like manager probably for Jane Seymour has foretold that there's some man who will come and ruin her. And when she sees him, she goes, is it you? <laughs> and then um, they fall in love and it's going pretty well. Yeah. And they've just, 
they've, they're at the resort and they've, you know, they've rode in a boat together while one of them has read poetry. <laughs> they've done all the things. They've just made love and they're in the room and he's, she's teasing him about his suit because, you know, he didn't know exactly the fashion. He just got an old tiny suit. But of course, like, it's like someone, you know, um, accidentally getting clothing for the 2000s, for the aughts, the early 2000s, when they're coming to 2020. They didn't realize they'd look ridiculous, right? Right. So, so she's teasing him and he goes, this is a great suit. It's got pockets. Look. And he reaches into a pocket and he pulls out some change and it's got a penny from 1970 something in it, which he, you know, didn't realize he'd done. And seeing the 1970 breaks the spell of him having time traveled. And he suddenly is like, no, and he moves back to, he moves back to um, 1970 and he's in the hotel room again. And you see Jane being like, no, and like that must have been super traumatic for her to suddenly have this man that she just made love to literally disappear. Not like the ghosting I get, but you know what I mean? Like literally he disappears into the ether. And so I think that's where the whole like manager being like, there's a man who'll come and ruin you. She probably kind of goes insane after that. And then as an old lady, she sees him at the play and goes to the play and says, come back to me. So it's sort of this like lovely circle of like, he never would have gone back to her if she hadn't gone to him and told him to go back to her, but she never would have like gone to him if he hadn't gone back to her. But then the end is interesting because, uh, you know, she lives her life probably insane and hunting for him and then showing up at plays <laughs> and giving him rockets. And he, lays in that hotel bed after his mistake and he's accidentally transferred, you know, back to the 1970s and he lays in that hotel bed and he just keeps trying to get back to her. He keeps laying there and saying like, it's, you know, 1850 or whatever. Thing. And, um, but he doesn't eat or drink any water or do anything. And he's not getting back to that time. So eventually he dies in that hotel bed. What? whispering to himself, you know, I'm in 1910. But then the closing shot is the two of them in a white, white void, oh, meeting both young sure. and beautiful and holding hands. Oh my so my interpretation of that is that uh, she's already dead because she was old to begin with, and he dies <laughs> trying to get back to her. And then they, they're in heaven together. Oh, my God. Of course, they're in heaven yeah. together. And was this made for television, I say, hopefully? <laughs> no, this was like a blockbuster hit, I believe. This, this was, was a in blockbuster theaters. hit. This was it. And it was pre-Superman, post-Superman. You know what? I don't know. It's I feel a, like it was definitely a like little divergence for Christopher Reeves. Like I'm probably one of the few people who's like never seen Superman, but I love you in this like random movie right, you did. And it's called Somewhere in Time, 1980, yeah. okay. a romantic fantasy drama film. Directed mm -hmm. by Janat Swark. It is a film adaptation of the 1975 novel, novel Bid Time Return by Richard Matheson, who also wrote the screenplay. Christopher Reeve, Jane Seymour, Christopher Plummer. What's Christopher Plummer doing in that film? I think he's the manager who's like, be careful, you will meet a man who will ruin you. I think that's who he is. That sounds so, like something he'd do. I think do. we know that management are also <laughs> truth sayers. They're also, yeah. They also know things. I have to say that this idea of how time travel is done is kind of mm -hmm. awesome. 
It's kind of hilarious. Isn't it? Like, as opposed to, because it's so intellectual, as opposed to, like, a DeLorean or whatever. Right, right. It's not a machine. Yeah. It's not mechanics at all. It's all yeah. in the mind, which is yeah. a mo- also a book that came out in the 70s. I don't know when that book came out, but did you ever read Jonathan Livingston Seagull? No, but I've heard people, I mean, all of that sounds familiar. So okay. it's not about a seagull. It's about right. time travel. Right. No, but he wrote another book. Yeah. He was, okay. Richard Bach wrote a bunch of books and they were yeah. all about, they were in the 70s and it was all about the power of the mind, Heather Thompson, power of the mind. And so there was a book called Illusions, Illusions, 1977, Richard Bach. And I read it. When I was at college, I was 19, would have been 1984, uh, Mm -hmm. I read Illusions, and I believed it. That's how the, so essentially I laid in a room Mm -hmm. and I thought, (laughs) I want a car. And uh, <laughs> and it is did, that the secret also? <laughs> it's a lot like the secret. The illusions yeah. is is what you believe, and it's all about the power yeah. of the mind. And um, and illusions was this thing where if you believe something enough, like there was a guy who was a barnstormer in the seventies yeah. who flew a, a biplane, mm-hmm. and what he did for a living was he would fly to small towns. And people would give him five bucks for rides on his biplane. That doesn't sound safe. I can't imagine that he's got, that couldn't happen today. Uh, He's going to need to be incorporated. (laughs) Anyway, but, um, but yeah, so somewhere in time that, so it ends okay. Yes, but like, so let's say, for instance, Remains of the Day. It's very tragic because, first of all, it's about the help and way to go for a different perspective now. You've got sort of the head butler and the head buttress. Someone listening to this is going to be like, that's nothing. Housekeeper. The the head housekeeper, (laughs) yeah. Um, And that's Anthony Hopkins and Emma Thompson. I mean, could you get anything steamier than the two of them, right? (laughs) So they... um, they have this seething sort of romance, but of course they could never because he's the head butler and she's the head headmistress. But in the evenings, <laughs> she's they the have, housekeeper. Anyway, she's the housekeeper, right. which have, is a big deal. And they're usually a couple, so this is interesting to me that uh, sometimes they're married. Like you could, uh, you mm-hmm. could hire a couple, like the butler and the mm-hmm. housekeeper. Are sometimes a married couple that you hire, yeah. and that's your help. For them to not be married and then both to be single, that is kind of steamy right there. That's very steamy. Yeah, I mean, I don't know why porno writers don't come talk to me. You know what I mean? I got the real goods here. I don't know what you're doing with these pizza boys and these stepmoms. So so they have this thing they do where in the evenings they make tea and they sit in the little parlor and they discuss the household items, you know, I don't know, such and such isn't folding the towels properly, the biscuits are too moist, whatever it is. But of course, they're in love with each other. So it's just fraught with, did you think the biscuits are moist? You know what I mean? Like, it's like that. And then at one point, somebody hurt somebody's feelings. And they say like, oh, I, I guess I didn't realize these nighttime meetings were tedious for you. And there's a big misunderstanding. They're both of very course. hurt. And then Emma never really knows if Anthony loves her and they're sort of locked in these roles and they're both very proper. So I don't think either one of them feels it would be appropriate to make a move. And Emma gets an offer of marriage and that would, for her, that would mean leaving the job and 
going off with this other man, who clearly she is not in love with because that's not who she discusses moist biscuits with every night. But he's probably nice enough and she doesn't know how Anthony feels. And, you know, I think there's some awkward conversation where she's like, is there any reason I shouldn't stay? And he's like, but of course, if you want to discuss biscuits with somebody else, that is your business, you know. And um, she leaves and then they, they meet together, like, to have coffee, like, years later. Because, like, he's going to be, I don't know, in the seaside town where she now lives. And then, um, I'm forgetting details, but they have another stiff coffee, I think. And then he <laughs> just sits in an old-timey car where it's pouring rain and just sobs. And then... Um, he goes back. Oh, Christopher Reeves, I think, is in this one, too. What? Unless I'm unless my memory is shot. Maybe <laughs> we should Google that because in my head, I'm picturing Christopher Reeves in this part. But um, they go. Eventually, a new owner comes to the house and he's a little more free. And um, I don't know what happens. I don't know if Anthony is going to retire or it's just clear that he's going to have a slightly different life working for this new, more modern guy. But like the final end shot is like, there's this bird that's gotten into the mansion (laughs) and Christopher Reeves like takes it to the window and lets it free. And you know, it's this big metaphor about like both Anthony and Emma were these birds that were trapped in this existence of their sort of like, because of servitude. Yes. Yes, exactly. And being proper. And the, what they should have done is, you know, gotten an adorable seaside cottage and maybe over to bakery and boned all the time. <laughs> but instead, um, you know, all they had was like their meetings. And I think it's called Remains of the Day because, you know, they would meet in the evening. Oh, and talk about the remains of the day. And it was just yeah. the two of them or was it all of the staff? Just the two of them. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Remains of the Day is a 1989 novel by the Nobel Prize-winning British author Kazuo uh, Ishiguro. The protagonist, Stevens, is a butler with a long record of service at Darlington Hall, a stately home near Oxford. In 1956, he takes a road trip to visit a former colleague and reminisces about events at, at Darlington Hall in the 20s and 30s. So, um... I am not seeing uh, Christopher Reeves in this film, but that does not mean. Um, Let me give it a Google because I want to see if I've lost my mind. I'm just going to type in Christopher Reeves remains of the day. <laughs> Please do. Um, he had, uh, I don't know if you know this about Stevens, but he had unshakable loyalty to Lord Darlington. Oh. Okay. I mean, that sounds right. He's in it. it def- I just Googled it. Um, Stars Anthony Hopkins as Jane Stephen and Emma Thompson as Miss Kenton with James Fox, Christopher Reeve, Hugh Grant, Ben Chaplin. So he's definitely Hugh in it. Yeah, I think he's the new. Yeah, I didn't remember what Hugh Grant did. Wow. Uh, you yeah. know, what's interesting is that there's a, and this, I'm on Wikipedia, my friends. But okay. uh, his unshakable loyalty to Lord Darlington, who hosted lavish meetings between German sympathizers and English aristocrats in an effort to influence international affairs in the years leading up to the Second World War. Do you know what those are? Those are called Nazi meetings. Uh, Lord Darlington was a Nazi. So I am so sad to tell you, uh, (laughs) Stevens, that your loyalty was to a dirtbag. So that is too bad. So uh, what happens to the Darlingtons? What happens to Lord Darlington and his family? We find out. 
Um, I don't know. It's funny the things that stick out to me. Like I completely, you know, erased the Nazis from my memory right, right. and was like, you know, all about like the biscuit meetings in the evening. Um, <laughs> right. While they worked together during the 30s, Stevens yeah. and Miss Kenton failed to admit their true feelings toward each other. Their conversation, as recollected by Stevens, show a professional friendship, which at times came close to blossoming into romance. But this was evidently a line that neither dared cross. Stevens, in particular, never yielded, even when Miss Kenton tried to draw closer to him. When they finally meet again, Mrs. Ben, having been married now for more than 20 years, admits to wondering if she made a mistake in marrying, but says she has come to love her husband and is looking forward to the birth of their first grandchild. So she got laid in the end. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Stevens, uh, it sounds like Stevens never marries. He is just, he lives, he's just lives in regret. I'm but, not sure he's ever been kissed. They should do a remake of Never Been Kissed with Anthony Hopkins as Mr. Stevens. These are interesting movies that you would choose because <laughs> these are not like romancing, wait, uh, Room of the View, also mm-hmm. British. Yeah. Um, but not not tragic, much lighter, right? Yeah, that's much lighter. Age of Innocence is also pretty dark, if anyone's familiar with that one. Um, but Room with a View is lighter. They get together. Right, right. They get together. What is Age of Innocence? So did you like Wuthering Heights? That was my question. And- so, you know what? I've never watched all of Wuthering Heights. I mean, I know that sounds right up my alley. It really um, does. It's a lot... <laughs> Of, you know, it's like the Dragon Ball Z of, of romance, uh, <laughs> where there's a lot of hanging in air, just glaring at each other. And, um, which is a weird reference. I get that. But the, um, you know, Wuthering Heights is Heathcliff, and um, it's, it's sort of a mixed class romance. Mm-hmm. And, there, and, it, and it is not, it's slightly tragic, I believe, but there's... There's a certain amount of... I remember reading the classics when I was a child. Uh, I haven't done much of it as an adult. But uh, the... Uh, and thinking, these people are dumb. Uh, <laughs> these people just got to leave town. Which, of course, they could not. I mean, they're, they're, they're servants, right? They don't have any money. It's sort of like when you think about when, when slavery was made illegal. You're like, why didn't all the black people leave? Well, they don't have any money. They don't have any yeah, food. Yeah, they didn't they have can't a whole lot of resources. Yeah. Again, it's, it's the same with the servants. It's the same with um, this. I mean, it's just, it's it's the way this the society, with the system was set mm-hmm. up to keep those people there, which is why it's so tragic. You know, like that class system between the butler and the housekeeper. Mm-hmm. They, yeah. they brought, yeah, that's too bad that they never got together. Mm. <laughs> Yep. And um, Age of Innocence is similar. It's um, Daniel Day-Lewis oh. and Michelle Pfeiffer and Winona Ryder. Oh, my God. What? Yes. So Daniel Day-Lewis is engaged to a young Winona Ryder, and she is the image of beauty and sweetness. And he's pretty happy about it. And then Michelle Pfeiffer, <laughs> who plays Countess Oleska, comes walking into, t- like, they all live in New York, and it's high society in New York. I think it's the early 1900s. Okay. She comes into town and people are quite cruel to her because she married a count, but he's a rude, terrible man, and she might be getting a divorce, and it's very scandalous. Yes. So, so there's like this whole thing with some people sort of accepting Olenska and backing her so that she doesn't get rejected by society, but other people being like, 
you, you went to call on Countess Oleska. She's scandal or whatever. Mm. So, and of course she's like way more like fascinating and sexy and interesting than Winona Ryder. Who's just sort of like sweet and bland. Yeah. Yeah. And so of course he falls for her. Um, but they never have sex. They never consummate it because he, at this point he's already engaged to Winona Ryder and um, she gives he this wonderful it. yeah he gives this wonderful speech where she says like so Countess Olenska Michelle Pfeiffer says to him you know the thing I love most about you is your kindness and to be with me would be to like violate your kindness so you know you have to stay with the woman you you're already set up with oh my god so um, you have they to live barely ever yes <laughs> they have these like moments like. They have like a moment where they, I, and I think she says, don't make love to me. Too many men have ever, have already made love to me. And so it's like this weirdly pure thing where like, I don't know, their love is unsullied by orgasms and physical touch. I think they sort of hold hands once and they have like these lingering moments. And um, what a drag. then uh, he, and he, he has children and he has a whole life with Winona Ryder and then, so the movie is him with his son. I think they might be in Vienna or something visiting. And he's telling her the whole story of Countess Olenska. And um, the son says, I kind of knew about this because mother, and uh, like Winona has passed away, I think at this point. That's always convenient. Um, yes. Yeah, she's passed away. Uh, and the son is grown and he says, Yes, mother said you would always be a good father to us because one time when she asked you to give up the thing you wanted most, you did. Oh, As in, so like Winona always like kind of knew and was like, don't leave me for this woman you love more, basically. <laughs> and um, they go they go to call on Countess Olenska and everybody's old now. And um, <laughs> the son is like, aren't you going to come up and see like this love of your life? And he's like, no, I'm going to sit on the bench outside her house. And... The son's like, well, what shall I say about why you're not seeing her? And he says, just tell her I'm old fashioned. So this is this is the kind of thing I love for some reason. We're like, even once everyone's dead and they could be together, he's just going to sit on the bench. This is a very tragic dorkdom. I find yes. this fascinating. Yes. Uh, what? By the way, I am uh, speaking with uh, Heather Thompson. It is at the Heather Thompson, T-O-P-H-O-M-S-O-N, no P. T-H-O-M-S-O-N, the Heather Thompson. And uh, stand-up comic, Finder, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all the things, knock, knock. And uh, the, because uh, um, we're almost at an hour, is what you should do. Mm-hmm. And okay. uh, the, uh, uh, the age of, that is so fascinating to me. Daniel Day-Lewis, I have never seen a Daniel Day-Lewis movie. What? I know it. It he's is. a brilliant treasure of our time. I know he's a treasure of our time. I have instead read the books that his father wrote. His father was the poet laureate of England. And uh, and uh, Mike Kaplan calls his Daniel Day-Lewis's dad, Daniel Dad-Lewis. But his <laughs> name was Cecil Day-Lewis, or Cecil. And he wrote mystery novels in the 20s. And they are hit and miss, but mm-hmm. I like them <laughs> I read them all. It's almost like a deeper level of nerddom than um, just being a fan of Daniel Day-Lewis. Right, right. A lot of people like Daniel Day-Lewis. Who likes yeah. Daniel Day-Lewis? Uh, <laughs> not as many people. But uh, but I think that, that it's... Um, so did you see Bridgerton? 
No. Which is which not I know anything. sounds like it would be it would be so up my alley, but, but I not, just wasn't. It is not up your alley. It is exactly the antithesis of your alley. Because oh, because they're touching each other. I think that's what put me on. It's just banging each other against <laughs> trees and in carriages <laughs> while wearing fancy clothes and Ariane Ariane Grande uh music done by an orchestra as they uh, minuet and waltz around. And um, so oh, I do sorry, wonder, gonna... oh, don't panic. It's oh, just a dog. Oh, no, it's just a dog sitting in a pit bull. Do you want me to try and quiet him? No, quiet it's okay. On his own. He'll okay. work out. This is the dark forest. We don't care. Uh, this is, uh, rangers of the dark forest have heard much worse than an occasional <laughs> dog bark. Usually it's my phone. My, uh, my he doesn't have a vibrate button. That's a pop. Woof, woof. You're okay, buddy. <laughs> and uh, is he a nice pit bull? He's very sweet. He's a little rambunctious. Sure. But also very sweet at his core. But he doesn't like strange men passing by the house, which I have to say, I get it. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Right. I keep it on the inside, but there's sometimes a strange man walks by. I just want to start boofing, you know? Right, right. Where you're just like, no, nah, I don't like the look of that guy. Yeah, like yeah. where you just want to be like, potential danger. You exactly. Know? <laughs> and other times you want to just go, is it you? Um, so. <laughs> Are you the one sent to ruin me? <laughs> woof, woof. It's okay, buddy. And uh, But I will say that this has been a delight. We're actually a little short of an hour, but I think, I think unless you got another, another one of these sad sack romance <laughs> movies that you love... Um, I think we covered the hits. I'm sure I'll think of something in bed tonight where I'm like, you know where else they never touched and then they died. But um, these are. But I just want to say, like, this has been a delightful hour, and I think it's a wonderful thing you do giving people a place to talk about something that they're very enthusiastic about because it's great for the brain. I mean, because when else is someone ever going to be like, hey, Heather, you know the thing you love that most people don't love and find boring and strange? Go nuts. <laughs> Go nuts. You get an hour. Live it up. Yeah. <laughs> well, I would say this. Thank you so much for doing the Dork Forest, Heather. And um, and Rangers, you know what I always say? Take care of each other out there. My hat, my hat, my hat. They're dancing around my hat. <laughs> my hat, my hat, my hat. Well, what do you think of that? If it looks like a Mexican hat dance and it sounds like a Mexican hat dance, it's most likely a Mexican hat dance. So take off your hat and let's dance. Yay! Oh my god. Thank we you. why don't we just call that as the end of the show?